This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 326 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show, a fox in the barn. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are EasySignsOnline.com, Mill Creek Spreaders, and RidingWarehouse.com. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hail or hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. So sit on down and laugh till your poop, cause it's time again for Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. Stable Scoop. This is Glenn the Geek. And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Well, howdy, Helena. Howdy, Glenn. I see we made it through our opening segment, barely. (laughs) Took a while, but we got it done. Only took eight takes. Yeah. Just to say two lines. But that's the way we roll here at Stable (laughs) Scoop. (laughs) That's the way we bloop. That's the way we roll. Well, we have the uh, monthly Chasing a Fox segment coming up, all about fox hunting, and have a fun interview there. And also a little later in the show, we have a new TV show that's going to be on a new TV network. The network's called Ride TV, and the show is called Wild About Barns, and we have the executive producer and the host of that show coming up. And then later on, with our Tack and Habit segment, we have Colleen stopping back from Horse Nation with her uh, review of a product that she gave a try over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to hear about that as well. So we have a lot of stuff coming up on today's show. Um, Do you want to just get right to Chasing a Fox? Let's get right to Chasing a Fox, because it's just my favorite part of the Horse Radio Network. After Horse Tip Daily, I do still love Horse Tip Daily, but Chasing a Fox is a really close uh, second. Cue the Um, music. We got to cue the music first. Let's hear the foxes. Okay. Or the horses. No. Bugles. (laughs) Whatever they are. What are they called anyway? Are they bugles? Well, there's, you can hunt with different kinds of of dogs and hounds. They're fox hounds. (laughs) They're hounds. Okay. But what I meant was the, the horn that you blow. Is that a bugle? Oh, bugle. I thought you said beagle. Oh, no. <laughs> um, bugles. No, no, those would not be bugles. It's just called a horn, it's a right? Horn. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a hunting a horn. horn. All right, well, let's hear one. <laughs> bugles. Before we actually get into the Chasing a Fox segment, we're going to... Well, no, this is actually part of the Chasing a Fox segment. We do have a guest with us this week. Um, We're going to talk to Brandy Greenwell, who rides out with the Middleburg Hunt down in Virginia. Um, Sissy and I met her last year at the Virginia Foxhound Show, and she was actually connected to us through another Horse Radio Network host, Dr. Wendy Ying of the Driving Radio Show. Wendy spent some time in the Mid-Atlantic and had done some hunting there, and... Wendy is just like 
you know, the epitome of fabulosity. And so is Brandy. So this is a perfect, a perfect pairing. Um, so Brandy's going to come on and talk to us about um, what it's like to, you know, a day in the life of a fox hunter, where how she got started and and what else she does. Brandy has an amazing sense of style. So um, Sissy and I are we were instant fans when we met her. So we're going to hear from Brandy. But before that, I have to tell you that um, well, today the show is airing. It's Friday. Tomorrow is my hunt ball. Oh, is that right? You're heading up to the North Shore of Boston? Yes. And it's very special this year. It's kind of funny. It's kind of, well, kind of interesting. It's very special this year. Typically, um, Myopia Hunt has their hunt ball at the Myopia Hunt Club, which is a beautiful, um, very understated, but very elegant country club on Boston's North Shore. And we love going That's a good way to put it, actually. Yeah. Understated but elegant. Yep. Very eighteen hundreds. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's there are parts of it that are even older than that. So, um, so anyway, we absolutely. The, if you spend any time um, in Myopia Hunt Country, stop by the club. You can take a loop through to see the barn and the clubhouse. It's absolutely beautiful. Again, in a most understated, elegant way. So anyway, we love attending the hunt ball there, but um, there are some things that are going on with the clubhouse this year, some renovations and whatnot. So it's a very special venue. And we're going to be having the hunt ball at the Crane Estate at Castle Hill or Castle Hill at the Crane Estate, which is a trustees of reservations property. And it's this beautifully preserved mansion. And I don't know how many rooms it's got. It maybe had 30 something rooms, but it sits up on top of a hill overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. Um, very turn of the century. All was brick. That, is that the huge um, brick one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And it just so happened that many years ago, I got married there. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's yeah. where you had your wedding? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, it was a big deal. So I haven't been back inside there since then. <laughs> <laughs> not married anymore, but... <laughs> It's a good place to get married at the so time. So we're bringing the next one out to the... <laughs> <laughs> we'll just parade them through Castle Hill, see what happens. <laughs> so it's just, it's it's really a stunning venue, which means, you know, everything's going to be just a little extra glamorous. It has a big, um, it has a big brick and uh, concrete patio in the back, doesn't it? It does. Yes. And then there's something called the Grand Allee, which is this rolling lawn. It's this tiered rolling lawn that goes from the back patio all the way down to the ocean. You know, this place reminded me of a little bit of the Biltmore. Uh, I think we were over there once and uh, reminded me a little bit of the Biltmore, only on a s- little bit smaller scale. It's but, very much yeah. like the Biltmore, yeah. yeah. It's, I think, Newport Mansions. It's yeah. all that same, the same era. Right. Uh, the same, you know, Rockefeller, Crane, Astors. Now, what were the cranes? What were, what did they do? They did plumbing. I can't think of the guy's first name, but um, he made his fortune in plumbing. I think he was based out of Chicago. What, did he make the first toilets? or? Um, nope. He made, I think he brought, um, I'm looking it up, actually. I think he brought, uh, what's the stuff that you use for um, that metal? Not chrome, but. Copper? Brass? Not Copper. Anyway, he was the, the he started crane plumbing and they made faucets and huh. things. They now make toilets and other kitchen sinks and stuff of that nature, but um Who knew yes. you could get that rich in plumbing? Right? <laughs> We're, you know, I always say we picked the wrong professions. There there's about a million professions we could have picked. 
Here we go. Okay, here we go. Founder of R.T. Crane Bass and Bell Foundry in Chicago. Crane produces valves, fittings, and specialty castings for a growing industrial America. So that's kind of how it started. And then... Now, is this, yeah. in, this is in, uh, in Massachusetts? It's in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Well, very good. Well, that should be fun. Did you I, have a little black dress or? Oh, my God. Let me tell you something about the dress. <laughs> I have three black dresses. I've worn all of them. And, well, I've, the ones I've worn already, I, I, I can't wear again. <laughs> but no, I can't possibly I, do that. <laughs> can't possibly do that. And the ones that I, well, then I have others that just don't fit me anymore because I've slimmed down a little bit over the years. So, um, so the ball is Saturday. I'm going tonight to find a dress. <laughs> going dress shopping tonight. You better find something soon. You know, the last time you were there, you wore white. So wearing black this time is appropriate. I did not wear white. Oh, oh right. Well, the last time I was there. Yes, yeah, I you know. did. <laughs> You're right. That's funny. <laughs> Well, you know, our hunt has upholds the tradition of um, ladies wearing black or white gowns. And um, well, you don't want to wear white. That would be too close. Well, to- every I know every, every year I'm like, I'm wearing white this year. Everybody else wears black. I'm going to find something white. And every year I pull my hair out because I'm like, there's just nothing white that doesn't look like a, that's not a wedding gown. There's just well, nothing. You plus, can't do I mean, it. All the. I mean, kind of, you got married there and you're no longer married and you want that memory <laughs> wearing white there. I, I mean, it's already going to be kind of weird, isn't it? I know. Well, you know me. I like weird. <laughs> I do weird very well. Um, no, exactly. But, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, it's really hard to look good in white in November. Can you wear black and white? Yeah, you can no. wear black and white. You can wear, and like Brandy is and actually going to... And Brandy's going to talk about, about this. Really, the, the tradition is um, you can wear some variation of black or white, like a dark gray and ivory and off-white, even like a blush color okay. or something with a pattern. The idea is not to detract from the scarlet. Gotcha. Because you know, so gentlemen who have their colors um, and staff, they can wear scarlet. So the ladies... Yeah, and too much black and white together, you pretty much look like a jester after a while. So you don't take that either. Oh, you you look like a streetwalker, a jester, <laughs> a school marm. I mean, anything but what I'm looking for. So I'll end up wearing something that's black again. There you go. Well, good. Well, good luck finding that uh, out shopping tonight. Thank you. And I'm sure you'll have fun. And, you know, you can just put that uh, the memories you had. Just make believe it's your first time going. I do. I have a great time every time I go. I don't get to see my friends up there very often. So it's kind of like going home for Thanksgiving. You know, you see your family and your yeah. friends. Cool. And um, what well, is an absolutely beautiful place? I'll put a link to it in our show notes so people can uh, take a look at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is a neat place. Well, we, let's do this. Let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, let's uh, talk to our first guest. Uh, why don't you introduce her quick? Coming up next on the Chasing a Fox segment, we have Brandy Greenwell. She's a fellow fox hunter and a style maven and a breeder of Irish draft horses. Very good ones, as a matter of fact. So we're going to talk to Brandy. With Christmas season fast approaching, it's time to start planning a custom gift that will last for many years to come. Visit our friends at ezsignsonline.com and browse their unique website for their many custom sign options and styles. 
With affordable prices for customized signs starting at $39.95, your holiday gift giving just got easier. Their step-by-step online sign ordering process allows you to choose only the sign options you want and see all the pricing up front. From horse farm entrance signs, vinyl banners, magnetic vehicle signs to stall nameplates, and much, much more for every horse owner. Place your order early to allow plenty of time for Christmas delivery. Check out the website today at ezsignsonline.com. That's ezsignsonline.com or call them at 1-800-640-8180. That's 1-800-640-8180. And this is our next episode of Chasing a Fox. We're appearing here on the Stable Scoop Radio Show once a month. And one of the things we're going to be featuring in this new format is a listener and fox hunting friend highlight. We're going to be talking to our fellow fox hunters from around the United States um, and find out a little bit about them, how they got into hunting, what their lives are like, and if they happen to have an eye for fashion, all the better. So we're starting off this particular format with someone who has all of the above, Ms. Brandy Greenwell. She hunts with the Middleburg Hunt um, down in the Mid-Atlantic in Virginia. I've met her uh, personally and think she is one of the most warm, friendly, knowledgeable, chic women I have ever met. (laughs) No pressure there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) You know, she'll just fit right in with the HRN family. So we're going to learn a little bit about Brandy today. Welcome, Brandy. We're happy to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, so there is no pressure, truly. Um, okay. But we, I, my good friend Sissy Finn and I met you down at the Virginia Hound Show last June. And yeah. um, Wendy Ying is a mutual friend. She said, you guys have got to get in touch with Brandy. Not only does she hunt, she's a fabulous horsewoman, but has an incredible sense of style as well. And, of course, we met you in person and all those things were true. Tell us a little bit about... Um, your horse life, how you got into horses and what you do with them now? Well, I'm, um, I guess you'd call me a third generation horse person. So the insanity is in my blood. <laughs> my grandfather used to read thoroughbreds and my mom started riding uh, when she was very, very young and started breeding when she was about 17. Um, she bred some thoroughbreds and then she bred some just sort of general fox hunting type all around horses. And then, uh, the, the sort of the funny joke is is that she fox hunted while pregnant with me until she couldn't get her coat buttoned over her bump anymore. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I've been doing it quite a while. Um, and then, of course, I grew up hunting and showing and, and all of that, just everything, always living on a farm, always having a pony in the backyard or dirt on my face or, you know, all the kind of fun stuff that happens on farms. Um, professionally, it started in uh, about 1996. We had found an Irish fox hunter that we just absolutely loved and that sort of created this dynasty of an Irish draft breeding program. And uh, we went to Ireland in 1996, imported our first couple of mares, and then it was just a little bit a little bit of an addiction after that. <laughs> we, uh, at one point, I guess, in our heyday, we stood five stallions, had about 14 mares and about 45 horses on the property. Whoa! So, uh, yeah, it was a lot That's of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> That's a lot of work. It was a- it's a lot of work, um, but it was a lot of fun, and we were very successful with it and, and absolutely loved the horses. But uh, what happens when you have that many horses in your care is you never really have time to ride and hunt and do all the fun things that you got into it for. Yeah. So uh, our business side of it has subsided a little bit, and now we breed every few years, but uh, we fox hunt a lot more and we show a lot more and, and actually enjoy them um, 
not that we didn't enjoy them before, but enjoy them from their backs a lot more now. So that's sort of my my history, my resume with horses. <laughs> and today happens to be a special day for you. It's your anniversary. It is. It's my four-year anniversary. I'm super excited. I'm a I'm a lucky girl. My husband's a great guy. Um, we got married on a very chilly day in November four years ago, and it was outside. <laughs> so uh, it was a little chilly and typical typical horse girl. I had broken my shoulder and my wrist five weeks before our wedding at a horse show in Lexington, <laughs> Virginia. I'm and, not laughing uh, at you. I'm laughing with you. Yes. Well, Selena's sitting there with her hair cast on. Exactly. And so my bridesmaid, my, my maid of honor had broken her nose with Piedmont the week before. Another <laughs> bridesmaid of mine had broken ribs from another fall. Um, one of our groomsmen was the huntsman for Loudon Hounds. So they actually moved their opening meet for our wedding. It was quite a little, uh, quite a little to do. I think we had uh, three masters and four huntsmen at our wedding. And they played, they played Gone Away as we walked down the aisle. So. Oh, that's awesome. Did you get all choked up? I always get choked of up course. Gone Away. Oh. Yeah, you know, I didn't know if it was, you know, the man of my dreams, the song, the bourbon I drank beforehand, the pain in my shoulder. You know, I was just all full of emotion. <laughs> and for those you see, Glenn, for, she's perfect for us. For those that don't, don't know Gone Away, let me play just a little bit of it right now. Uh-huh. So now, is your husband horsey, or was he? He is. is he now? Okay, good. He is horsey. So I hit the jackpot. He, um, that's actually how we met. Is uh, is through horses. I was working at a store in Middleburg, and he had just moved to town and came in, and we were, you know, just immediately started talking about horses. And he came out and started riding for a friend of mine, and then we ended up hunting together. And um, he was never on my sort of romantic radar, and then. Uh, Quite a few. Well, I ended up giving him a horse that um, that we had. To, I gave it to him to hunt for a season. So we had a little bit of business going on. And then uh, one one day he told me he loved me. And six months later we were engaged. And four months after that we were married. Oh, so uh, oh, we we love to hunt together. And and my favorite. Well, not my favorite part, but he braids, which is awesome. (laughs) So he spent, uh, he spent a couple of years in college down in Florida at Wellington. And so he, he braided his way through college. So that's extra good points for the horse husband. Oh my God. That's like cooking. He cooks, he braids, right? He cooks, he braids, he, uh, he'll get on the green ones that I'm too scared to. (laughs) And, uh, we have a deal on hunting mornings that, uh, he will get my horse tacked for me as long as I bring him a hot breakfast in the barn. And I said, sold. Oh, what a nice relationship. Yeah, I'm very lucky. Okay, so you see, everybody, this is fox hunting is a great place to meet your future spouse. Unfortunately, some people meet their ex-spouses out there, too. (laughs) Well, yeah, there's that. But (laughs) But you know what? You know what's funny is when you're out in the um, when you're out in the field, it's a level field. All things become equal, really. Absolutely. Which is one of the great things about the sport is um, we're, we're all in it together out there. And um, whether you're friend or foe, we're all on the same team when, um, when we're going through the brush at breakneck speed. One of my dear friends and mentors, uh, when she was leading the field with Loudon many years ago, always told me, unlike any kind of showing that you'll ever do in fox hunting, you get 100% if, you, if horse and rider are on the same side of the fence as they started. 
So, you know, you get a zero if one's, <laughs> if the rider's <laughs> down or the horse is on the other side of the fence. But as long as you clear the fence and are in the tack, you get a perfect score. Doesn't matter what it looks like or, or how it happens, as long as you're, as long as you're at the right place at the right time. Right, exactly. As long as you can walk back to the trailer, that's my motto. Exactly. <laughs> I win. If yeah, I can walk sometimes back to the trailer, I win. Sometimes you stumble a little bit. I like to tip a flask here or there. So, you know. so what is it? Um, so you're opening. You you ride out with the Middleburg Hunt, and I do. Um, you, have you guys had your opening meet yet? Yes, unfortunately, it was last weekend when uh, my husband and I were at our, our national Irish draft show, so we missed it this year, but it, it did. we did open last week. Okay, and when does your season run? Because sometimes some of the seasons are different depending on what part of the country. Um, so your opening meet was last week, and then when when do you start to wrap up? We start to wrap up in the, in the beginning of March, beginning to mid-March. You know, it depends on the weather. It depends on, on sort of the season, but I would say, yeah, first two weeks of March. There's does no it get set closing date? Does it get real, real cold? I mean, up here in New England, we can't quite hunt um, in January and February and even March. It's just the, the the temperatures in the ground are too hard. Um, is it still fairly workable in in the middle of the winter? I know you guys have had some pretty rough weather the last. <laughs> That's few exactly winters. what I was going to say. It depends on the year. I think um, three seasons ago, it was we had a very mild winter and we hunted twice a week throughout the whole season and it was super duper warm. We had very little snow. So we had some really, really, really great hunting all season long. Um, last year, I don't think we hunted. I know I personally didn't hunt after the second week of December because we got so much snow. Um, Mm. and I don't think, I don't think even our hunt went out that much, um, just because of the weather, the frozen ground and the snow. I mean, we had that sort of snow apocalypse going on here in the deep yeah. area. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, didn't yeah. matter. Uh, we couldn't find the ground on which to hunt. So, so it just well, depends. so now what's coming up for, well, here's, this is the big question. When do you have your hunt ball? Our hunt Always ball. Always the party with Helena. Always I know. the party. Well, <laughs> One of the re- we love Middleburg because we do have we have some parties and we have some great parties. I was um, looking at the schedule. There's more parties than hunting. I think uh, <laughs> they, they're, they're a there happy is. bunch, Glenn. Let me tell you, they're a happy <laughs> well, bunch. Well, I was on your website, of, MiddleburgHunt.com, and there are a lot of parties. Exactly. We have um, well. This, this time of year, people fight for the Saturdays to have a breakfast, and we have quite a few formal breakfasts, which is awesome. Um, there's two coming up in December. Um, of course, last weekend with opening meet, we had our, our governor's breakfast, which of course we missed. But, um, so during our holiday season, we do have, we have quite a few, um, cocktail or formal hunt breakfast. So our ball traditionally has been in the spring. Uh, last year it was the last weekend in June and we had it at Salamander for the first time. So that was kind of a new adventure. There's something on the schedule I have to ask you about, because if you saw it on any any place else, you would be concerned, and that is the puppy auction. Tell us about the <laughs> puppy auction. Are you actually auctioning puppies? No. Okay. What I, see, that's well, why I said we'd be concerned. <laughs> it's, um, it's not. I think it, there's a couple of hunts that do it. I know Warrington does it at their hunt ball, but what it is is that you know every year when you have your puppies that you're about to enter, we bring them to a generous landowner's home, and uh, we auction off the rights to name them. 
Um, mm. So a lot of people do syndicates. A lot of people go in on their own. But, you know, a puppy name could bring in, I've seen him go for as much as, as about $4,000. So, so when you talk about naming 10 puppies, it's, it's a good, it's a fundraiser for the hunt. And then everybody, you know, and each litter has, has to start with a certain name, a certain letter. Um, so then, uh, so then, you know, you wait a minute, name. let me call my greyhound over glory. You're going to start having puppies. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So that happens every year. And then uh, after that, we do a night hunt. Our fixture card is really full. It's kind of nice that we are a social schedule. We know, we look at the fixture card to know what we're doing that weekend. Um, as to as to what party we're going to, or a, a night hunt, or the Christmas parade weekend's always really fun too. So wow. we have lots of good lots of good parties. That's one of the nice things about hunting as your primary recreational activity is the social stuff that goes along with it. There's something for everybody. You can do a breakfast. There's a dinner. You can go fancy. So whatever you're feeling, whatever mood you're in on any given weekend, there's usually something that would fit your mood. On the hunting social social schedule. So I want to go back to Huntball for a minute, (laughs) Glenn. You moved it from Huntball to Puppy Auction, (laughs) which is fine. But I I wasn't quite done with the Huntball thing. Um, Well, actually, it's not just about Huntball. Since there are so many social activities – well, okay, no, wait. I'm getting getting all excited here. Now, I I went to Middleburg for the first time last year and and absolutely fell in love. One of the things I would really be excited about going to is the – Christmas parade and the meet, which is in December, early December. Um, what's that like? Have you ever, have you been in that? I, I, I remember you were the one who told me about it. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's the first, the meet, it's the first week in December and we meet from right outside of town and it's, it's almost like a very Irish or English type of meet. We, uh, we have a stirrup cup at the Red Fox Inn, um, you know, ham and biscuits and port and sherry and, and hot cider. And then uh, as, part of our, as part of the town's annual Christmas parade, the hunt leads the parade down the town. So, uh, you know, there'll be probably 50 to 70 riders, maybe 100 riders, uh, riding down Route 50 in Middleburg, Virginia. And then we cast off... Um, we cast off a little like northwest of town and have a day's hunting after that. It's pretty spectacular. I can't say uh, I've done many things like that in my life, but it's, it's a pretty cool event. It must be very electric the, in the, um, the days and the hours leading up to the meet because there's, you know, you just put a little extra attention into your braiding and your grooming and your own turnout and stuff. And, sure. you know, boots are super polished. Um, that's got to be a lot of fun, just kind of like like Glenn was saying, leading up to – it's always the the events that lead up to the main event that are the most exciting. So Christmas Day is fun, but it's the six weeks leading up to Christmas that are super exciting. Sure, sure. And my husband always – we have um, – for the Christmas parade, we have matching bowlers that – one was my mother's and one was my father's. So we wear those down. So it's kind of like our little – our special outfit. It's our Christmas parade outfit that we wear. <laughs> That's adorable. It's the one day a year we get to wear our derbies out. We're going to have to try that, Glenn. <laughs> hey, you know, it's too bad you can't drive and hunt. There's got to, You know what you could do, Glenn? You and Scooter could carry around all the extra drinks. You could sort of be like, you know, a, a I'd be roving. drunk by the time I got to wherever we were going. You, you could, could be, be the roving, roving tailgate. Yes, yeah, Scooter would be drunk cup. and I'd be drunk. We'd both be drunk. 
<laughs> you know, I bet you Scooter would like to drink more than me, actually. Yeah, I bet he's he would. kind of a bad little pony. <laughs> so, yeah. He's perfect for you. He's perfect for you. <laughs> yeah. All right, one, wait, one last question okay. about Huntball. This was what I was going for because, of course, I'm in the middle of Huntball hell um, because one of our requirements for Huntball is, um, well, it is black tie, but ladies will need to wear either a black or white gown. Do you have a similar requirement for your Huntball? That's... As far as I am concerned, that's not a per-hunt requirement. That is sort of an omniscient hunt ball requirement. Uh, to be proper, ladies should only wear um, black or white or, you know, a variation of a gray but something subdued. And I believe that ladies on the arm of gentlemen wearing scarlet are allowed to wear red. Um, but other than that, I, I, I have always known that to be a hunt ball rule a blanket hunt ball rule, not just for particular hunts. Um, not a lot of people abide by it, <laughs> but, but that's, that's, uh, that's what I've always been told. So that's what I do. And so do you usually go with black or white? <sighs> I usually go with black. Yes. Well, I you're beautiful usually... blonde too, which really offsets the whole picture. You can't really I go usually... wrong with black. Yeah, I, I think it's the basic. I generally try and do some really great jewelry to jazz up a black dress. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of the thing. We have, a, we have a little bit of, same thing with our race hats. We have sort of a gown or hat syndicate with some like-sized and styled girlfriends that, you know, I wore this one to this ball, you wear this one to the next ball, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and create their own so we don't have... Um, you know, closets and closets and closets of ball gowns. Not that that's a big problem, but closet space gets a little gets a little short. <laughs> well, see, now there's a business idea. We can create an evening gown swap, the black and the white. Because I'll tell you, looking for a white gown that's not a wedding gown is quite difficult. But I do like a I challenge. Know. I do like I a challenge. Know. So I love I, I love the idea of a white gown. I've never, I've worn black and white, but I've never worn white. But maybe I will this year. Ours is in the since ours has been in the summertime. It, it would be a lot easier to find a white one then. But um, it's true. Nick, Nick and I will probably go to at least four or five balls a season. Ah, oh, we like see, to dance. We like to boogie. It's fun, isn't it? It is something to do, and it's it's a great thing to put on your social calendar. It's very wholesome and fun, and you know, there's well, always as much as I like to to dress up in a ball gown. My husband likes to put on his tuxedo, so oh, it works well. That's perfect. Oh, that's perfect. And and Buck owns a tuxedo, so we're you know we're only really we only have one. There's not a lot of hunts around here, so we kind of have to find other things to go, other black tie events to go to. But we will, or I can just start a new. I can start a farm pack, and we can have a hunt ball. <laughs> there you go. Or you could just come down to the Middleburg one <gasps> and stay at the Salamander with a great room rate. Can you tell him on the committee? <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll have to put that on our list of things to do. All right. Well, we are um, we're taking up a lot of your time. We don't want to do that, but um, we can talk and talk forever. I hope, Brandy, that you will come back on the Chasing a Fox segment in the future and keep us updated on what's happening in, in your life and that of your husband and your hunting friends. Absolutely. Will do. I'm, I'm honored. This is a fun, fun thing. Thank you. And as we said earlier, um, Brandy rides out with the Middleburg Hunt. You can find them online at middleburghunt.com. Um, they are a great bunch of people. I, I can tell you that Sissy and I um, met several of her fellow hunters down there, and 
we just I, I I could not have it couldn't have been a more warm and friendly bunch. So I highly suggest that you check them out. Thanks again, Brandy. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Well, next up, we have Pamela Kettle, who's the executive producer of Wild About Barnes, a new TV show that's coming out in January. And we have the host of the show, Ingrid Schaffenberg. And they're coming on to tell us all about this and also to talk a little bit about a new cable network that's coming out called Ride TV. We're going to learn about that, too. Well, hi, Pamela and Ingrid. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, Pamela, let's get started with you, executive producer of Wild About Barnes on the new Ride TV network. First, before we get into the show, let's talk a little bit about Ride TV, because I venture that a lot of our listeners, like I didn't know much about it either, haven't heard of Ride TV yet. What is it? Well, that's right, Glenn. It's a brand new cable network that is currently on, on, has launched and is on uh, Armstrong Cable up in the Northeast uh, in about five of their markets, but... It'll be launching on other cable uh, operators as we speak. Um, but basically, the idea behind it is because the horse industry is so prolific across the country and around the world, you know, we didn't have a cable network dedicated to horse lovers. And so Ride came along and basically decided to make a cable channel that would be 24-7 hour programming for the horse culture and lifestyle which we thought was great. So uh, we think it's going to do really, really well in the market. And once people really hear about it and know it's on the air, I think it's just going to grow exponentially and become a very, very popular cable channel. I was looking through the different shows that are on the network. Of course, RFD's been out there, right? That's the one that we're right. all familiar with. And, and there's another one I can't remember the name of. We don't get any like any of them here where we live. So, um, right. so I've never been able to watch them much. But um, RFD, the, I like Ride TV because RFD tends to be more of the training stuff. Uh, when I was looking at the shows and watching the trailers that are going to be on Ride TV, that is more my thing because it's very well produced and, the, and it's a little different. It's not not just a trainer watching a horse go around in circles. You guys are really producing some interesting shows. Um, and, you know, Wild About Barnes is one of them, but all the other shows are adding a different twist to it. Absolutely. I mean, everything from horses that heal to, you know, uh, events going on in Wellington. What I like about it is it covers every breed and discipline. It's not just a Western or English thing. It's, you know, it's Morgan's, Arabian's, Endurance, Thoroughbred. And so it's it's, you know, if you have, if you love horses, you'll find something that you'll be very interested in and want to follow. I love the trailer for Rockstar Vets. That looks like it's going to be a good show. Yeah, uh, that guy is a real character. Yes, he is. He's a veterinarian, <laughs> and he is a character. Uh, <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> But yeah, so that's what I liked about this. This is more, instead of just being, okay, we're going to do, you know, we're going to train in a round pen today, you really do have, uh, you have some real production value with these shows, including yours. And so that leads into, Wild About Barnes, what is it? Well, you know, I've been a producer, I've been a television producer and corporate producer for, gosh, 30 years, and, uh, I was in the news business for many, many years. So production is, is in my blood. It's what I love to do. And my passion is horses. And I've been riding since I was a little girl. I grew up showing hunter jumper, but basically 
uh, horses is just a huge part of my life and my family's life. And, you know, I, I've been doing the corporate thing for a long time. And while I enjoy it, I just was getting a little burnt out on it. And I thought, well, what can I do for the next 10 years? You know, I got to work for the next 10 years. I think I'm going to combine my passions. So when I found Ride, I thought, well, I like their production value. And I think this is, uh, I think this show could work on there. So I've been noodling it around in my head for about four years. And last year, I just decided to go ahead and put the pilot together. And then I just called up Ride and said, I have a show that I think will be great on your network. And I met with them like literally two days later and we signed a contract. Wow. Wow. So you went with your instinct and it hit. You you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, I did because I don't know a horse person on the planet who doesn't love going in someone else's barn. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, they especially love going in everybody else's tack room and poking around. That's yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, true. You do want to go into someone else's barn. You're you like the, I'm really excited about this. Like I I'm going to subscribe to the service just. It's to the see voyeur and all of us coming out. Totally. No, but it's true. I mean, you want to go in and you not only want to see their horses, but you want to get a sense of the environment and the atmosphere in the barn, and you want to look around and go, oh wow, you have a little cubby hole under that feeder to put all the smart packs and blankets and all of that so you don't clutter up the aisle. That's a great idea. I didn't think about that. Oh, you've got these oscillating fans that are on thermostat. Wow, that's a great idea. You yeah. know, so so that's why I wanted to create it. I wanted it to be entertaining, but I also wanted it to be informative. So if I'm sitting there watching it and I'm getting ready to build a barn, I want to be able to learn from the barn. So that's why I try to include architects and builders in every one of my segments because I want them to say why they did things a certain way rather than, okay, this was, you know, in this barn, all the doors open to the left. Well, why is that important? Well, because most people, when they're leading horses, they lead horses with their right hands. And so it's, they're always having to switch to the left to open the doors and then the lead rope gets, you know, in the way. And if you, all the doors go to the left, it's just a natural open the door to the left, lead the horse in. So you know, I, it's, I think I never thought about that. Well, <laughs> yeah, this is well, actually I just a that really... On one of my helpful thing that I, I think can fortify um, horse owners around the country because so many times we'll go into somebody else's barn or we'll watch someone else handle their horses and they do things differently than we do. And sometimes the inclination is to go, oh, well, I don't do it that way. And, you know, I would never do this that way. But it's because we don't understand the reasoning behind the way someone else does what they do when they do it differently. Exactly. So exactly. it's a really, it's, it's an eye, it's a mind opening series because we do now have the opportunity to understand the why behind the what. Exactly, Helena. And one of the, so when I created the show, I thought, well, I love historic barns. And uh, I mean, I'm happy to go into any old house and any old building and rummage around. I just really enjoyed that because, you know, somebody lived there. There was a story there. And so I thought I'll do historic barns, backyard barns, and show barns. So each 30 minute, well, first of all, let me tell you, there'll be 13 programs in the first season and uh each one is 30 minutes long and i'll show a historic a backyard and a show barn so for example our first program which will begin airing uh in january in the first week in january on tuesday night uh is going to be on the ta molten barn which is in moose wyoming which was part of the old mormon row back in the early early 1900s really rugged place but today, Country Magazine calls it the most photographed barn in America. I'm sure you've seen it. It's, it's the old wooden barn with the Grand Tetons in the background. Mm. 
it's just a beautiful barn, and I got to interview the family, and it was a really emotional thing. That's actually on my pilot on my website right now. And then my backyard barn, because I was funding it, self-funding it, I actually used my barn in the backyard. Why not? Because, uh, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was there, it was available, and it was free. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a horse person's favorite word. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, for the pilot, I did uh, Tom McCunchin reining horses up in Aubrey. But for the first program, we've we've put in a saddlebred farm in uh, Paris, for sales, Kentucky, uh, and that'll round out the first show. So we're getting ready to launch our website in a couple weeks. Right now, we just have a splash page where people can look at the pilot. We'll have a really, really interactive website. We've got a really big following on social media, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, and we're really great. To, we feel really privileged to have Ingrid with us. Who, well, I was uh, I was just going to say, you know, all of that's great, and but it could have, you know, it, it could have ended up as an NPR kind of boring show. But then you got yourself a hot cowgirl to help you out, <laughs> who's very fun and who makes the show interesting, and that is Ingrid. So, uh, good job there, Pamela. Well, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I was just looking for a local talent and I wanted somebody that they had to have some experience with horses because I just didn't want a talking head. And uh, so Ingrid uh, is a spokesperson model and she grew up doing hunter jumper stuff. So I'll let her talk a little bit about her experiences. We've really, uh, how we've been shooting nonstop for like the last two months. And uh, what have your adventures been like, Ingrid? Oh my gosh. Honestly, that first shoot that we did to kick off the series, I felt like it was, I mean, literally a dream come true. I mean, this show pretty much combines all my loves of like horses, barns, history, architecture, you name it. It's just, it's, it's just one of these moments in my life where it's like, wow, this is actually happening. (laughs) Pinch me. (laughs) Um, It's, it's been phenomenal. I mean, I've gotten to ride, uh, so many different horses, like saddlebred, cutting horses, um, obviously meet all these amazing, interesting people and hear their stories. And honestly, we're just having a blast. Well, Ingrid, you, you, every horse girl uh, wants to have a job in horses where they get to do cool, fun stuff. And uh, it is really cool when you finally get to do that, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Amazing. I feel so, so privileged. Yeah, one of the, at the uh, Sunrise Stables, the Saddlebred place, they also raise hackney ponies, which I don't know if you're familiar with them. But oh, yeah, being... I have one right right outside my door. Oh, you do? Well, I, I drive a hack. Yeah, I drive hackneys. Oh, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Well, I'm not <laughs> oh, yeah. that familiar with them, and this little guy was just gorgeous and had a really nice step, and Ingrid got to drive him, and she said it was just wonderful. It's like driving was... a little Ferrari, isn't it, Ingrid? It, it was amazing. I mean, I just, you walk up to these little guys and they're so tiny and, but they have so much power. I was so amazed. So amazed. Yeah. That's why I like them because they're, they are like driving a little sports car. Uh, and I've driven yeah. the station wagons before. I like the sports car better. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one of the things, Glenn and Helena, um, is that we wanted to, like I said, we cover every breed and discipline and sometimes it doesn't even have anything to do with the barn. For example, um, we found this company in Franklin, Tennessee, outside Nashville, and it's called the Tennessee Barn Project. And it's a couple of brothers who build furniture, and they're just these tremendous arts artisans. 
And they were building furniture. Business was a little slow, so they'd go take these field trips, right, and drive around and look for old wood and stuff. Well, they started discovering these old barns that were slated for demolition. And so they'd go up to the owners and say, hey, please don't demo that. Let us dismantle it and reuse the wood. And the owners would let them. And now that's 50% of their business where they go into restaurants and visitor centers and homes and they retrofit retrofit all this, you know, 100-year-old growth wood into these modern modern establishments to kind of mix the old and the new. It's just fascinating. And the, the work is incredible. Wow. And see, that this doesn't really even have anything to do with horses, but it's still barns and it's still saving barns. Well, there's no better place for a horse person than in the barn. I mean, that is our, that's our church, you know, that's our, our home. It's a place where it it all happens. Sometimes the horses are secondary to that whole process. Well, that that is definitely true. Yeah. And and in the old days, you know, the barn was the hub of the family. It was where everybody spent their time taking care of their chickens and cows and sheep and horses. And, and it was just, you know, it was just a time where, it was just a simpler life and everybody worked together to feed the family. And I, and I liked that. And I, I wish sometimes we could go back to that. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of, um, the, the, the shows, well, the shows on the, on the network, but, um, you know, this one in particular, it's a very, uh, I guess on the surface, there's going to be a lot of eye candy and a lot of entertainment, but there is a very deep emotional thread that's connecting this content. Obviously the horses are one, are one, but, um, and then living the horse lifestyle is, it's a very emotionally based lifestyle. Would you agree? Yes, it is. And so it, you know, how else do you see that thread coming to life on your TV, on the TV programs? Well, to be honest, it comes to life in almost every one of the segments that we do. Uh, because I can't tell the story of the barns if I can't tell the story of the people who live and use them. And so we get to, uh, I'll give you another example. We, uh, we shot in this barn in Kansas called Whitewater Stock, Whitewater Stock, Whitewater Falls Stock Farm. And at the beginning of the turn of the century, it was the largest percheron breeding operation in the wor- in, in America and it might have been in the world. It was a real show place. They would, you know, on sale days, they would rent a private train and ship people from Wichita, 2,000 people out for the sales days. I've got all these great old photographs from this. It's just a tremendous barn. Well, the barn still stands because, you know, when they made barns back in the early days, the craftsmanship was so good. Those things are still really, really in good shape. They just need a little bit of renovation. So a young couple bought the property that has the barn on it, and I tracked down the woman who was uh, married to the great-great-grandson or the great-grandson of the founder, J.W. Robison. She's 90 years old. She's sharp as a tack. Her name is Dot. And I got her, I interviewed her, had Ingrid talking with her about all the old photos. She was telling us about all her old memories growing up at the farm and what the sale days were like and what the percherons were like. And we got her together with the new family that bought the property and had them walking through the barn. And it was just so incredibly emotional, wasn't it, Ingrid? Oh, my God. I, I actually teared up before we started that interview. It was just so deep. There's just so much history there. And and I think that's 
like you said, I mean, it seems to be sort of a pervading theme with a lot of our stories. Um, and I think that's why people are going to resonate with this show, not just horse lovers, but just people in general. I mean, most people that I talk about this show to are like, oh, Barnes, you know, I used to ride when I was younger or, you know, um, oh, I remember Barnes when I used to take road trips as a kid, you know, seeing him on the side of the road. And I think it just taps into a deeper part of a lot of us, you know, that it's very Americana. So, yeah, it's the emotional thread, like you said, it's, it's totally there. I, I That was the thing that impressed me most about the trailer was I'm a history nut. So your first segment there about the old barn and digging up the old pictures and talking to the digging out the people who who knew about this barn and the families that were involved with it. That was very interesting to me. That was uh, uh, I, I that was my favorite segment, by the way, of the whole show was that, you know, it's great seeing the you know, the, the you know, I know Tom, he's been on the show. McCutcheon's been on the show before. But, uh, you know, it's great seeing his barn and, and what millions of dollars can get you uh, right. but but i found it more you know i found it more interesting the history of that old barn you know it's just sitting there in the field um you know because well, it meant so much to somebody a hundred years ago uh, yeah but wasn't it interesting glenn that it meant like the land to clark and his family Jay moulton and clark and harley was so important but like just like his son said what he didn't realize was the view was yeah. really Yep, the deal. And it did have so, a view. <laughs> oh a view. yeah, it was a lovely, lovely place. But you know, in the winter there, they get like twenty feet of snow at a time. <laughs> it's a oh. tough place to live in the winter. That's you just hearing that makes me nauseous. I've got to. Well, this but is very a cool place. Now let, well, let's ask you: How can people? Because it's on so few cable networks at this point, and it's going to take a while. It takes a while to gear those up. Is there any yeah. way people can watch all of these shows online? We will have uh, on our website, we, will, we have a section called Schedule and Episodes, and we will have segments from each of the barns. We probably won't have one complete show that a person can just sit there and watch, but we will be breaking them up into segments. So they can actually go on and, and watch those segments online on our website any time of the day once they start airing. And I see here that uh, Ride TV is associated with Cloud TV, which is spelled K-L-O-W-D TV. Yes. Um, and is, that, is all of their programming going to be streamed on Cloud TV? It is being streamed right now. You can go onto Cloud, and okay. you can, uh, right now, I think you can get a month free. Yeah, it's a month uh, free, and I think it's only like five bucks a month anyway. And there's a bunch of HR TVs on there. Um, there's a bunch of networks that are on there that you won't be yeah. able to get necessarily, you can, or you might not be able to get on your on your cable channel. Um, right. So yeah, right now we are streaming live, and you can go there and watch and watch Right TV as it's being aired right now. So if you want to see the whole uh, thing and though you you want to see and it's not in your area, then that's probably the best easiest way to do that. Probably uh, right now until we can get up and ramp. You know, one of the things with a new network and new shows is everything is the first year is basically just to get get familiar, get people familiar with it's your product and what you're selling and everything. So we're hopeful that by the time we air in January that uh, we'll be on a couple other cable operators and things, and then we'll just you know, get big and grow bigger from there. Because one of the things that great Glenn is, and this is how I really wanted it to work when we set it up is my goal was to have people through Instagram or Facebook or whatever, 
uh, you know, send me a video, send me a picture of your barn. And that's how I would feature barns going forward. And that's, that's literally how I've gotten all of my backyard barns. And that's exactly how I want, I designed it to work. Um, because I want to hear, I mean, yeah, it's great to have the trainers and the Olympians and all that stuff, but it's also really great just to see, you know, Marianne's backyard in Nebraska and she's got, you know, a two stall barn that she and her dad built and it's housing all of her animals. I mean, to me, that's just as great a story as anything else I'd put on Wild About Barns. I agree. Totally. Yep. Agreed. Wildaboutbarns.com is where you can find it. Uh, thank you, Pamela, and thank you, Ingrid, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us, Glenn and Helena. We, uh, we hope that viewers will go to our website at wildaboutbarns.com and then look for our show airing starting in January on Tuesday nights. Well, that was fun. We should have a TV show about doing our show. What do you think? We should have a TV show about me. It'd be kind of boring, though, us just sitting here talking on our mics, looking at our computers. <laughs> kind of like, like when we started the network. It would be yes. kind of boring. We could start out with 12 viewers. That's right. Well, you know, there are a lot of TV shows out there that actually do radio shows. They film them sitting there. At the, I always thought those were kind of boring. I, I, if I can Dude, listen to the radio. Are, there are TV shows the out there that are, like, beyond stupid. Yes. They're, Come on, like so. Ours would be th- any less stupid. Who would ever think that a show about going to pawn shops could be I a know. show? I know, I know. And look at it; it's one yeah. of the most successful shows out there. So, you know, horse people, they we could we could tap into a segment of that market. <laughs> we already have. So, well, yeah. I'm very. I am. I wasn't just saying that. I'm very excited about Ride TV. The trailers that I've seen of the different shows that are on there are are notch above and look like they're fun and entertaining. Uh, they look more mainstream uh, shows. It's so. very well thought out, though. Yeah. It really is very well thought out, and there is um, an authentic, an authenticity to the programming that I'm excited about. Not that you know some of the other. Um, well, the horse networks that are out there now, I'm, I'm sure that they are authentic. Uh, they just don't. I don't connect with them. I don't personally connect with them. I don't know why, but I don't. I have really good feeling about Ride TV. Because we're both entertainment-based as opposed to education-based. I think we want to, we, you know, and people are. They want to be entertained. And I think that's why Horse Radio Network has done so well. Yeah, you learn stuff along the way, but it, we've always said it's entertainment first, education second. Because mm. I, I, I just took myself as an example. If I find something, it could be very educational, but if it's boring as heck, I'm not listening to it. Mm. Uh, you tune out. And, you know, that's why it always, in my mind, had to be entertainment first. And I think Ride TV does that. And this is not a big commercial for Ride TV. I really don't know them from Adam. So No, me uh, either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just well, excited see, to find them. I know. I know. It's just like anything. The proof is, you know, we, we got to dip our foot in the water and see if we want to go swimming. But I well, kind of <laughs> kind of think I do. <laughs> I know. Well, coming up next is our Tack and Habit segment with Colleen from Horse Nation. This Tack and Habit segment is brought to you by RidingWarehouse.com. Hi, Colleen. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me back. Well, now, the product review, I actually looked through all of your reviews on Eventing Nation, and there's something that we haven't talked about yet, and I thought uh, we'd get you on to talk about that. And we don't actually talk about these kind of products too often, so tell us what we're uh, chatting about today. Well, today, Glenn, uh, we're going to be talking about the fungus line of products from Absorbing. 
um, because it's that time of year where, you know, everything gets kind of muddy and gross up here in Pennsylvania. So, of course, we have lots of problems with skin fungs. Okay. And they have, uh, is this a fairly new line or do I just not remember it? You know what? I think it's been around for a while and it's actually, it was formerly Equine America Fungusol, um, but now um, it's now under the absorbing family of products. So it's um, absorbing Fungusol now. And it's it's actually a whole system. So there's there's three different things. You've got your shampoo. um, It's medicated shampoo. Then you've got a bottle of, um, I guess, spray-on treatment. And then you've also got a, a canister of ointment as well. And so what, did you try it out? You, you did the whole system? I did the whole system from shampoo to spray to ointment. <laughs> and were you trying, um, were you, was this just in general or was there something you were dealing with? What was the scoop? Um, I actually had, Ripley ended up coming up with some like funky skin on his leg. I wasn't sure if it was quite rain rot or, I mean, it just, it kind of started looking a little funky and, and gross. So I thought, you know what, this, me, um, it was something that looked like it would be great to try the fungusol out on. So I actually started, um, it's kind of, you would think it's kind of a three-step system, but I actually, so I started out with the shampoo, and I wanted to start kind of trying to, like, squirt it out on my hand right away and start lathering up Ripley's leg. But surprised, I even surprised myself because I stopped to read the instructions, which <laughs> I like to make sure to follow the instructions, you know, letter by letter when I'm doing a review instead of just diving in and ignoring the instructions like I normally tend to, right? So, um... Are you a guy? Is... Are you a guy? <laughs> That's a guy thing. No. <laughs> I simply get impatient sometimes, Glenn. It's, it's like when you uh, when you get one of those boxes of furniture and they, you know, yes. have 10 million different yep. parts and they're like, you know, follow step A through G and, you know, you have like 10 screws of this size and 20 screws of this size and you know, you get kind of impatient with those kind of things. So that's that's what I'm normally like. But no, I went through and, you know, I read all the labeling and everything, make sure I was doing everything the right way. So basically, I started out with the shampoo. Um, I used a sponge. I applied some of the shampoo to a sponge and kind of lathered Ripley's leg up and then let it sit for about 20 minutes and then rinsed it off. And then I actually used only either the spray or the ointment at a, um, at a single time in conjunction with the shampoo. What I did is I, I shampooed, and then on that first day, I kind of just spritzed afterward with the uh, with the spray. Okay. Now, the, the spray is recommended to only be applied once per day. So that first day, I actually shampooed, let it sit for 20 minutes, rinsed it off, and then I spritzed it up um, really well. And then that was all I did on the first day. Now, um, I didn't actually shampoo every day. What I did is I treated for, I want to say it was about, it was like a week and a half. I don't think it was quite two weeks that I ended up treating for. I usually just um, would do the spray once a day, but I wanted to make sure to try out the ointment too. So um, the ointment's actually pretty cool. It, it's not like some of the other products that I've tried. There, You know how sometimes you try an ointment and you get like a really, like, thick film on your hands and even if you wash your hands say like two three four times you still feel like you've got that residue left over mm-hmm. the ointment actually after you apply it um it it washes off pretty nicely i washed my hands once and then i didn't feel like i had that like nasty residue that was hanging around so i really did like that 
Um, I actually mostly stuck with, um, I liked the once-a-day spray because I felt like it was easier and, and more time-friendly for me when I'm on the, like, on the go. But the, um, the ointment you can actually apply up to two times a day. Okay. So that one you can use, like, to me, when I, on the day that I chose to, or I guess the days I chose to use the ointment, I would apply it in the morning and then kind of check at night. It kind of does, um, it sticks to the hair. It's, so, I mean, to me, I kind of like to rinse it off a little bit before I apply more. But that's kind of how that went. Um, after, I noticed, like, after, like, a week and a half of treating Ripley's leg, it cleared up really, really nicely. So, I mean, I had good luck with it, with whatever kind of funk Ripley had going on. And it looks like here it's the, the reviews I'm reading in a couple of websites say uh, that it's great for rain rot, uh, that it really worked well with only a couple applications of rain rot for the people that tried it. And also scratches is something I deal with having a a uh, hackney pony with four white legs here in Florida. We deal with scratches all the time. So I'd be interested to try it on his scratches and see how it works for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also was reading the labeling and it said it was um, also could be used for girth itch or uh, chill rubbing as well. Hmm. Cool. So did you find any negatives? Um, You know, to me, I kind of, I kind of wasn't a, huge, a super huge fan of when the ointment would kind of, like, stick. I mean, I mean, I know that I think it's a good thing that the ointment kind of stayed in place on the uh, on the hair, but sometimes if I think Ripley would go out and, and roll, you know, get down and roll, it would kind of get a little crusted with, you know, a little crud from the ground. So I would just, you know, when I'd rinse off the ointment and then go to reapply it, it would be fresh then. So, I mean, that kind of, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't as much of a fan of the ointment as I was the spray. Yeah, I really tend I, here to in Florida, we would have uh, if we put it on his scratches, we would have it would be coated in sand. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's I think that's more of like a personal preference thing. I mean, for me, I just I personally liked the way the shampoo worked really well. Um, I liked it. I even liked the little the fragrance with it. It kind of had I would say like a menthol fragrance to the product. So I liked that. I liked the spray because it was so easy to use. I think to me it's probably a personal preference with the ointment whether you whether you prefer the the spray form or the ointment form. Although I think it's nice that both are available. And your hands don't have scratches anymore, huh? <laughs> no, and <laughs> and when I do use the ointment, there's no sticky film left over, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that that's awful when that happens. It's like <laughs> I can't get it off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh, that's cool. the worst feeling ever because then you want to go and wash your hands and grab something to eat, and it's like, you know, I still think there's something left on my hands. Maybe I, I don't want to eat that bag of M&M. <laughs> <I know. laughs> well, you've done a lot of reviews. That's just one of them. They're at eventingnation.com. This one is for Fungasol, F U N G A S O L. You can read the complete review. Just head over to Eventing Nation. And what I do is just search for your name. We'll also put it in our. <coughs> Cut there. <coughs> Sorry about that. All right. Oh, that's okay. There <laughs> we go. Three, two, one. We'll also put it in our show notes at stablescoop.com, a link to this particular one. And then all of your reviews, you've been reviewing a lot of coats and clothing and all different kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff out there for winter right now and cold weather riding. So definitely check it out. Well, you should, with all this stuff you've had to review, you shouldn't be cold this winter. You have no excuse. <laughs> 
No, uh, hopefully we don't have another winter like last year with the polar vortex. I'm not looking, uh, not looking to get temperatures in, you know, the the teens and the single digits and. Oh, I think know, that's heading. Zero, I, I think that's heading your way right now, actually. <laughs> so. Oh no! I thought I heard something <laughs> about that. Although some people, I'm, I'm sure there's people in areas a lot colder than Pennsylvania that that think that you know temperatures in the teens don't sound cold at all. So I guess it's all relative. Yeah, our friends in the Dakotas and up in the northern part there uh, had two feet of snow and minus twenty degree wind chills. So, yeah, Oof. yeah, yeah. You're probably right about uh, not not having to worry about that. Well, that makes 30 degrees sound downright balmy. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Glenn. This Tack and Habit segment was brought to you by RidingWarehouse.com, your one-stop online tack shop. A huge selection of your favorite products and brands, but also including really unique and hard-to-find items like knee patch and full-seat riding jeans with cargo pockets, rigging converters, and a wide variety of bitless bridles. Listeners of the Horse Radio Network can use the coupon code RADIO for 15% off their order this month only, plus free shipping over $50 or $5 for second-day air, and a return policy like no other in the business and that is free returns for one year both ways. You can find it all at ridingwarehouse.com. Give them a chance and save 15%. Use the coupon code RADIO at checkout. Well, that's it for this week. It's been a fun show. I hope you enjoyed. We have a lot more fun shows coming up for you over the next uh, couple of weeks. Of course, we do some things every year around the holidays, and we're going to try and get those accomplished this year as well. And we hope that you're getting a little more in the holiday spirit as the days go along. Jennifer and I, we have not had a Christmas tree, fake or real, in a long time because we have this monster cat. (laughs) <laughs> that destroys everything. And we figured he'd just climb up the tree and it'll be on the ground every morning when we come out. And that might happen, I'm not sure, but we actually did buy a fake tree the other day. A uh, six-foot fake tree, and it was pretty cheap. We, we got it for like $29, and our has the lights on it and everything. It was in closeout, and we got it for like 29 bucks. And we figured, you know, if the cat destroys it, it won't matter. And then we bought all these cheesy, you know, we have some very nice ornaments, but we'll never put them on this tree because it'll, yeah. it'll eat them. So we bought these cheesy plastic ornaments. We bought all kinds of cheesy plastic ornaments and bows to put on our, our cheap tree just so we could have a tree, and now it's cat-proof. You know, that's what happens when you live with animals. Your your everything that you thought was important to you gets cat proofed. <laughs> so like, no more putting up a Christmas tree for the sake of putting up a beautiful Christmas tree so you could enjoy it. That's right. Just putting it up in a way that your cat will not destroy it. And now all the nice ornaments we're going to hang from like the ceiling where you can't reach them, you know. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> Once they break. But yeah, so we're going back. We're going back to the times when we were broke, when we were first together, had no money and, you know, had this cheesy little Charlie Brown tree. So we're going back to the Charlie Brown tree days. We'll I like that, Charlie Brown tree days. <laughs> well, at least we'll have a tree this year. So we'll I see how keep, that goes. I just keep vacuuming up all the broken ornament pieces. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you have cats that destroy your tree every year? We can't be the only ones. I can't tell you how many times when we lived in our house in Newville. It was a big farm, big house, and the great room ceiling was like 30 feet high. So we used to get these 10, 12-foot trees. 
And I can't tell you how many times we came out in the morning and this huge tree full of decorations was on the ground from the cat. Ugh, cats. Boy. Why do we have cats? I don't know. Oh, don't know because they're have. just so uh-huh. soft and cuddly. Even when they Cat, bite you. By the you. way, is laying right at my feet. He's just right under my feet now, looking up, going, "You talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the tree? I want to give me the tree. Set that thing up. I'm ready. I'll let you know how that goes. I'll take pictures of it when it's on the ground in the morning and post them. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Please well, thank you, Helena. Do. You can listen to our app. Just go to the App Store, iOS or Android. Search for Horse Radio Network. It's the simplest, easiest way to listen to all of our shows on the network. And also, you can uh, stop by our website at stablescoop.com. You can listen to all the past episodes, all 300 and, wow, 326 of them over there at stablescoop.com if you're glutton for punishment. <laughs> and... Um, or if you just had like an operation and you have six weeks of recuperation, that'd probably be good. Or if you uh, happen to have a jug of tequila in the know, house. <laughs> yes, that's right. Our Either show is works. a lot, I, I got to say, this is a PSA. Our show is a lot more fun with a little tequila. Yes. <laughs> and you have a great time at the Hunt Ball. We want to hear all about it next week. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, hopefully we'll get some pictures. And there, there's always an adventure. There's always a story. When you put Sissy and I together, there's always an adventure. But when you put Sissy and her husband and me and Buck together, we're going to have a nice show for you when we get back. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Until then, happy scooping. <laughs>